You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Mets had an off day yesterday, which means it's a free space on the bingo card for the podcast guy. What to do, what to do. Hmm. As Chris Farley said towards the end of Tommy Boy, I have a plan. So, stay tuned. Let's see if we can save the Callahan brake pads plant together. This is your podcast for Friday, July 23. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing. Now, here's Josh Lewin. Scootily down. Thank you. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. Josh Lewin is my name. I am your Pied Piper of Hope. 11 games in 10 days coming up at home where the Mets have gone 28 and 14. They are still in first place in the NFC East. I mean, the NL East, same difference. A bunch of teams from New York and Washington and Philly all playing 500 ball. Uh, the Mets do need a starter for Sunday, two more for a doubleheader Monday against the Braves. Uh, we'll work through it. At this point, the Mets are leaning towards starting Strowman on Tuesday, which will be a full nine-inning game. Stroh with that eight-inning, one-hit masterpiece against the Reds earlier this week. Meantime, Anthony Bonda, Steven Nagosik, Nick Tropiano are among the candidates for starting duty in that doubleheader. I know it's not Seaver, Kuzman, and Matlack. I get it. Tropiano and uh, infielder Travis Blankenhorn were recalled from Syracuse after Robert Stock was put on the IL and Jeff Hartley was optioned. Blankenhorn gives the Mets another backup infielder after Jose Peraza ended up on the IL. Also, if you missed it, the Mets traded outfielder Billy McKinney to L.A. for outfielder Carlos Rincon and some cash. Rincon, decent prospect, was assigned to A Binghamton. McKinney had been designated for assignment last week upon J.D. Davis's return. In another organizational depth move, the Mets claimed right-handed reliever Roel Ramirez off waivers from the Cardinals, assigned him to Syracuse. Ramirez, a Laredo, Texas native, appeared in one game for the Cardinals in each of the last two years. The one game he appeared in last year was essentially Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. At the White Sox, he comes on in the fifth inning of a one nothing game, okay? Strikes out Luis Robert, that's good. And everybody's thinking, this guy Ramirez, he's great. Nomar Mazzara, base hit up the middle, okay, no biggie. Danny Mendick, single to right, not ideal, but okay. Mendick then caught stealing. Great, got two outs, runner at third. Then a walk, then a wild pitch, then a home run, then another home run, then another home run, then another home run. Moncada, Grandal, Abreu, Jimenez, back to back to back to back. Out goes Ramirez, sent back to the minor league camp. He spent an entire calendar year with a career big league ERA of 81. So his one game this year, Three runs allowed in a third of an inning, so he still has a career ERA of 81. This is why the podcast did not begin with the news that the Mets have signed Roel Ramirez of Laredo, Texas. But great arm, fine pedigree, stick him in Syracuse, let's see where it all goes. Where we go now is turning our attention to the longest homestand of the year. 11 games in 10 days starting tonight. First up, we will meet the Mets. Old friend Steven Matz gets the start for the Jays, who just lost a couple against Boston. Matz does have eight wins, but also a four and a half ERA. For the Mets tonight, rookie Tyler McGill, 
So far, so good, right? 2.6-ish ERA, five starts long. Fireworks after the game tonight. Saturday, got the cooler bag giveaway night, 7.10 p.m. Hunjin Ryu, 9-5 with a 3.3 against Taiwan Walker, 7-3 with a 2.99. Ryu is a sneaky good ace for Toronto. 17-win pace in this day and age. You'll take that. Low threes ERA. Uh, durable. It was a great acquisition for Toronto last year. Sunday, got a cooler bag giveaway day this time. Another former Dodger on the mound for Toronto, Ross Stripling. If you ask me how I feel about Stripling, I would simply tell you I don't know. I've never been strippled. Thank you. Uh, three and six record, 5.04 ERA against TBA for the Mets. Hopefully, DeGrom's just around the corner, of course. Scouting Toronto, original organization of Marcus Stroman and Noah Syndergaard. 48 and 44, fourth in a very competitive AL East right now. Managed by Charlie Montoyo, very cool guy, former infielder. He's a long-distance runner, taught himself how to play a lot of percussion instruments, plays the bongo, plays the conga drums. A little like Luis Rojas, he cut his teeth in the minors for a good long time. He managed 3,700 games in the minors before he got this shot. He was in Bakersfield and Montgomery and Durham. Now he's getting his shot up in the sixth. Players to know for the Blue Jays. And by the way, back in the day, the first choice for their nickname was the Blues. They were supposed to be the Toronto Blues. But that name was already the domain of the University of Toronto sports teams. The board of directors came back with Blue Jays as an alternative. That's the way it came down. Mets played the Jays already this year uh, on the road. And you may recall they got introduced to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He is hitting 329. 32 home runs, 79 runs batted in, triple crown possibility, leading baseball in OPS. Oh, and he's 22 years old. He was born during spring training of 99, when the hot movie was Varsity Blues, and the hit song on the radio was Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. Will we ever have to remember that Guerrero had no home runs, 50 at-bats into his big league career? Because since then, he has lost weight, he has gained batting average, and other than Fernando Tatis Jr. in San Diego, he might be the most watchable player in the sport. They were hitting him clean up his first week in the big leagues at 20 years old. Just three other active players were asked to do that. Uh, Reese Hoskins did it for the Phillies in 18. Chris Bryant, remember that name maybe? Uh, He did that for the Cubs in 2015. Jose Abreu did it for the White Sox in 2014. Two other sons of big league royalty man the Toronto infield. The shortstop is 23-year-old Bo Bichette. Not Boba Fett, you Star Wars nerds. Uh, No, Bichette, son of Dante, who was one of the first cult hero players in Colorado. He hit that game-winning 14th inning home run opening day of 95. The Coors Field debut in 35-degree temperatures. Four-hour, 47-minute game. Bichette had misplayed a fly ball from Joe Orsalak in the top of that inning. And the Mets actually took a lead. But then Bichette, the three-run walk-off home run in the bottom of the inning off Mike Remlinger. Uh, 292 batting average this year for Bo Bichette. 15 homers, 12 steals, amazing hair. He's also the, the master of the opposite field base hit. He is second most in baseball in that department this season. At third base, Kevin Biggio, who was hitting just 223. But again, platinum bloodlines. Craig Biggio, his dad. You always think of the hit by pitches and doubles with Craig Biggio, right? Craig Biggio was a standout wrestler in New Jersey back in high school, but gave it up because, in his words, there's no running in wrestling. Uh, Craig Biggio was also a quarterback who scrambled so much he was turned into a running back and then recruited by Penn State. 
Pete Harnish, who went to a nearby high school, says Biggio was the best high school football player he ever saw. Craig Biggio went on to Seton Hall just before Movon played there. Only player in history to make the all-star team as both a catcher and a second baseman. I used to love Craig Biggio. In the outfield for Toronto, Teoscar Hernandez, who's followed up a Silver Slugger 2020 with a 2021 All-Star Game nod. This guy, Teoscar Hernandez, does not hit many cheap home runs. To Felix Hernandez might, but uh, when Teoscar Hernandez connects, there is very little doubt. Average home run the last two years for him, 418 feet. Only Marcel Ozuna is better than that. And Hernandez with a great arm, too. He's tied for the most assists by Big league outfielder since 2018. He's got 31 of them. Also in the outfield, well, they got rid of Rowdy Telez, the guy that looked like Samuel Tarley from Game of Thrones. But there is the Connecticut native George Springer, who you might remember interested the Mets as a free agent. He's only played 25 games due to injury, but he's got seven home runs, tremendous player. Native New Yorker Joe Panic is on this roster. Interesting group of players, some indeed with a local bent, including Stephen Matz. Toronto is right in the mix for the AL East. And uh, don't discount the push they're going to get from finally being able to play in Canada again starting next week. If they get one more pitcher, I think they're scary. Where's Dave Steve? If you're too young to remember, Dave Steve was maybe the most underrated stud pitcher, starting pitcher of all time. I mean, you, you play in Canada, you can end up anonymous. I get that. But your leaders in pitching war... For the 1980s, a decade of 1980s, Dave Steve was a 48.1. The next best was Burt Blylevin at 38.1. Yeah, Dave Steve by 10 wins, was the best pitcher of the 1980s. Nobody talks about him. Roger Clemens was third on the list. Bob Welch fourth. Fernando Valenzuela, who, of course, did a lot of the heavy lifting for his career early in that decade. He is fifth. But Dave Steve had way better numbers than all those guys. Never gets talked about. Anyway... Uh, Toronto 48 and 44 coming in after losing those two in Boston. As for the Mets, 50 and 43, the runs scored on this past road trip, last five games anyway, 7, 7, 15, 3, and 7. So average it out, that's eight runs a game from what was the 29th best offense in the sport before this high tide has happily come ashore. So is that fool's gold or is that for real? 11 home runs in the three games in Cincinnati is great, but it is Cincinnati. Band box on hot, humid days. Balls flying like a Titleist. So when the Mets let Chili Davis go earlier this year, the Mets took some heat for pinning a lot of the, the troubles of the lineup on him. Uh, some people said, look, you're playing without Nimmo and McNeil and Conforto and Davis being in the lineup every day. And Lindor was struggling, of course. McCann slumped. But it stood to reason that once the Mets got healthier, the offense would get better. And sure enough, now even with Lindor on the shelf, it's coming along fine. Nimmo is reaching base at a 417 clip since coming off the IL. McNeil's got an 11-game hit streak. Alonzo's been terrific since winning the home run derby. Conforto is suddenly hitting the ball like it had just insulted his mother. So do you need another bat? For the stretch run? That's a big question. As Anthony DeComo wrote on the Mets website, desperation does funny things to a team during trade season. Look no further than the Mets' acquisition of Cespedes in 2015. But now that the situation no longer seems desperate, do you maybe just turn your attention to pitching and you don't overpay to rent Chris Bryant? I don't know. Stay tuned. So, 
speaking of 2015, it's been on my mind for a number of reasons, and here's where the podcast is going the rest of the way. First of all, Toronto's coming to town tonight, and that is the team the Mets were actually lined up ready to play in that 2015 World Series. Had the Blue Jays been the opponent and not Kansas City, I believe to this day there would have been a Canyon of Heroes confetti thing early that November. The Jays were a much better matchup for that vaunted Mets pitching staff. Bunch of big swingers, plenty of holes to exploit. The other reason I'm thinking 2015, this date, July 23rd, this is what kicked off the most active eight days of Mets baseball maybe ever back in 2015. July 23rd is when Conforto came up from AA, not AAA, remember. 24th, that's when the Mets made the big trade with Atlanta, getting Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe. John Neese also watched his son get born on FaceTime uh, just before heading out to the mound that day. July 25th, that was the 15-2 Mets win that announced maybe they have a little something after all. July 26th was that Uribe walk-off against the Dodgers. July 27th, the Mets traded for Tyler Clifford, who ended up being a big piece. July 28th, that's when Henry Mejia got his 162-game suspension. Remember Henry Mejia? July 29th, Wilmer Flores proving there is crying in baseball when one thinks they've been traded to Milwaukee. July 30th, that's when the Mets blew the 7-1 lead to San Diego during that Noah's Ark rainstorm at Citi Field. And then July 31st, minutes before the closing bell of the trade deadline, they acquire Cespedes, and of course from there, it was Camelot. Actually, I think the 2015 season can get neatly divided into pre-John Mayberry Jr. hit cleanup that one time and post-John Mayberry Jr. hit cleanup that one time. We are up on the anniversary of that as well. The Mets were 49-48 and on this date in 2015. Yeah, they had Mayberry hitting fourth and Eric Campbell hitting fifth against Clayton Kershaw, and that's when everybody went berserk. That's when Conforto came up, and Johnson, and Arebe and Clippard, and Cespedes. The Mets won 41 of their last 65, ran away with the East, took down the Dodgers, dominated the Cubs. Cubs had as many hits in that NLCS as the Mets had runs. But never forget, Danny Muno DH'd for the 2015 New York Mets. Yet, there they were in their first World Series in 15 years. The magic carpet sputtered to a halt November 1st. The last drop in the gas tank depleted when Eric Hosmer darted home on that grounder to third, and Lucas Duda sailed the throw to the backstop. The Mets led in all five of those World Series games, but of course won just one of the five. Kansas City overcame deficits in the eighth inning once and the ninth inning twice. Before that season... ESPN.com had a panel of 88 experts, seems like a lot of experts, to pick the World Series teams. One of the 88 picked the Mets. So let us raise a glass to Rebecca Glass, who ran the baseball blog for ESPN then that was called You Can't Predict Baseball, apparently. But that postseason, man, uh, Wright and Duda were 3-for-34 in the division series, and it didn't matter because the team was carried by Murphy and DeGrom. Murphy continued the Babe Ruth impression through the NLCS against the Cubs, then didn't hit at all, of course, in the Fall Classic. But the World Series, it was the 16th and 21st highest payrolls pitted against each other. Game 1, 14-inning epic, made possible by the Alex Gordon home run off Familia. 417 pitches, 309 minutes, 38 players, 24 men left on base, uh, all part of the inventory in that game. Uh, And in a way, I always thought that game 
was very emblematic. The Mets' big arms just couldn't strike out the Kansas City hitters who were all about putting balls in play. Kansas City struck out seven times in 14 innings. The Mets, 15 times, 10 times in extra innings. If the Mets would have taken game one, and obviously if Familia hadn't given up the home run to Gordon, who knows where it goes from there. Also, what if the Mets would have had a home field advantage in the first two games in Flushing? That was still when the winner of the All-Star game determined had or determined who had home field in the series, which was so dumb. That was the Cincinnati All-Star game where DeGrom dominated, striking out the side on 10 pitches in the sixth. That game was 3-2 to two at that point, and you know who followed DeGrom to the mound for the National League and let the game get away? K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez. If K-Rod would have pitched better, maybe the National League wins that All-Star game and the Mets have home field. Anyway, Yada, yada, yada. Wilmer Flores takes a called third strike at 12.34 a.m. November 2nd. And the Royals, not the Blue Jays, not the Mets, are the World Series champions. Now, as we ponder what went right to steer the Mets into that World Series six years ago, we'll see if there's a big acquisition like Cespedes coming up. It's not like the Mets are losing ground these days in the division. They're just not gaining any. Last four weeks, this all reminds me of that time I went paddleboarding on the Hudson. This was before a Mets night game. And I figured, ah, get out on the water at 1, come back at 2, go home, shower, get to the yard by 3 or 4, no problem. Well, the the current was not cooperative. The wind was not cooperative. I paddled my arms off trying to get back to shore and for 55 minutes stayed precisely in the same exact place. Eventually, some dude on a boat came by and helped a brother out. But anyway, that's what the Mets have been doing for four straight weeks now. They are 14 and 13. The Nats are 13 and 13. The Phillies are 13 and 12. The Braves are 13 and 12. Everyone's got their phone in airplane mode. Uh, By the way, best record in baseball the last four weeks, the Detroit Tigers. I'm not making that up. It has been, just to wrap this up here, until recently, a very long summer for the Mets offense. I get that. Even the infamous appearance of approach coach Donnie Stevenson wasn't doing much. But now maybe they're turning the corner. And as we check the leaderboards, your batting average leader, J.D. Davis, 357, but in only 20 games. Jacob deGrom, 364. So do we say he leads the team? No, because if we include pitchers, Jared Eikhoff is hitting 400, two for five. Tommy Hunter is one for one. He will lead the Mets in hitting this year, guaranteed. How can we forget the pure joy of Tommy Hunter after that first big league hit? That's all kind of like in uh, 86. If you want to cheese somebody off playing Mets trivia, Ask him who led the 86 Mets in hitting. Everyone guesses Keith Hernandez or Wally Backman, but nope, technically, future Blue Jays manager John Gibbons hit 474 that summer. He was 9 for 19. Anyway, home run leader for the Mets this year, Alonzo. He's got 19, but only three at home. RBIs, it's Alonzo again, 53. I think this, the uh, single season Mets record of 124 by Wright and Piazza is safe. Uh, what do we got here for stolen bases? Your leaders there, VR and Lindor, each tied with eight. ERA, DeGrom, of course, 1.08 and holding. By the way, Loop at 145 out of the bullpen should be discussed. Tommy Hunter had an ERA of zero in his eight innings, but that doesn't really count. Wins, he got a three-way tie now with Jake Stroman and Taiwan Walker, seven apiece. Next is Familia, who has vultured five. And again, I take you to 86. You know who had 14 wins that year? Roger McDowell out of the bullpen. Darling had 15 in the rotation. McDowell had 14. 
and allegedly spit on Newman and Kramer the following June. Saves leader for the Mets this year, Edwin Diaz, of course. Uh, he was 19 out of 20. Now he's 19 out of 23. Next time we all freak out about closers not closing, the leaders in blown saves since the start of 2019, Red Sox, Nationals, Dodgers, the last three World Series champions. I'm just saying. Hey, a reminder as we uh, get on out of here, this is First Responders Weekend at City Field. Great discounts and a free hat. More info at Mets.com. And after the weekend, Monday, the doubleheader against the Acuna-free Atlanta Braves starting at 5-10. Single admission for that one. Many, many thanks to uh, listening to this podcast, subscribing to this podcast. Hopefully you're spreading the word, uh, letting people know that we live here. You can find me on Twitter at Josh Lewin Stuff. I'd love to hear what you think of the show and what we can do better. But meantime, let's introduce the Mets in the Morning house band on keyboards, Randy Milligan. Slapping the bass, Josh Tolley, yes. The horn section, David Ortsma. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Daryl Siciliani, the forgotten hero of 2015. This is Josh Lewin. Have a great weekend. I hope you get out to the ballpark, and let's go Mets. Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox, and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So, why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.